Well, uh, today we get to uh, talk about probably one of the best topics to talk about in the Christian life, the topic of heaven. And I'm excited to talk about it this morning because I, heaven is actually a topic that uh, I think uh, our generation doesn't particularly take very seriously. I, I think it's a very common criticism of Christians and, and of the topic of heaven, where people say, you know, Christians are always worried about how people know whether they're going to go to heaven or not when they die. And so people say, you know, why are we focusing so much on this future life? You know, there's so much in this beautiful world right now. Why don't you make the most of the now? Make the most of the here. And, and think about you know, seizing the day instead of thinking about you know, being obsessed about the future. And I think that uh, this passage has an interesting answer to that. And it's in verse 10. You'll notice those words where the Apostle Paul says, but when the perfect comes. And that word perfect is a Greek word, teleos, which comes from another Greek word, telos, which means the goal or the end of something. And he's talking about the aim of life, the aim of the world. And many philosophers throughout history, all the way back to Aristotle, have said that one of the primary ways that you understand the meaning of anything is its telos, its end, its goal. What was it made for? You know, so for example, if you're going to start a business, if you don't have a picture in your mind of what that business is going to look like when you're done, how are you ever going to build that business? You've got to know what the end is. You've got to know what the telos is in order to even start building it. Or if you're in a car, if you don't know where that car is going, how are you going to drive the car? You don't know what a hammer's for. How are you ever going to use a hammer? You can't live a life here and now unless you know its telos, its end, its purpose, its goal. And heaven is the place on the map we are driving to. And so when we understand heaven properly, actually, it brings tremendous amount of meaning and richness and hope and vision to everything we do here and now. Tremendously important topic if we are going to have meaningful human lives. And so in order for heaven to function as our telos, our goal, our picture, where we're going, uh, we have to understand what it is if it's going to be our compass. And so I want to just begin, I'm just briefly, what does the Bible say our telos is, what heaven is? Simply put, heaven is the place where God dwells. Heaven is the place where God lives. Earth is the place where man dwells. And the whole telos, the whole goal, the whole end of the story of the Bible, the story of this world, is that the dwelling place of God would become, and the dwelling place of man would become one. You read the end of the Bible, that's what it says. God wants to come and live with us. He wants to commune with us. He wants to share life with us, and that we would live with him. That is not just where our individual lives are going. That is where the whole creation is moving towards. And so the word that the Bible uses to describe that is the age to come, or the new creation. Now in the meantime, that's a future reality. In the meantime, there, uh, if you are in Christ and you die, our souls go to the place where God is, the place of his dwelling, which is heaven. And there is coming a time in the future where God will do for us what he already did for Jesus when he raised his body from the dead. And there is coming a time, this is unbelievable, that the Bible says that it is possible in Christ that death would be reversed. Our bodies would be healed and resurrected and restored, and we would live in 
God's renewed creation, freed from you know, evil, pre, free from suffering or death or from sin in the very presence of God for endless ages. Now, I'll tell you, that is an astounding dream. I mean, I, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you say, you believe that death is going to be reversed and you're going to live in a new creation in God's presence forever and ever? Okay, beautiful hope, but I'm sorry, that is too good to be true. Can I really believe like something like that would be true? Well, this morning, I want to talk about why our experience here and now suggests to us that the Bible story about heaven is our most logical telos. I think there's something in us that is saying that is where we are, that, that's where we're supposed to be headed. And I think that the reason why that's the most logical telos for us is there are three reasons for that in this text, and this is what they are that I want to talk about. First, heaven is the fulfillment of our longings. Second, heaven is the answer to our riddles. And third, heaven is a world of love. Three things. Heaven is the fulfillment of our longings, the answer to our riddles, and a world of love. And uh, I'm excited to share it with you. This is a passage I dearly love, a topic that I dearly love. So three reasons why heaven makes sense. First is this. Heaven is the fulfillment of our longings. And you know, this passage begins in verse 8. You'll see how it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, some of you will be aware that this verse has quite a lot of debate surrounding it because many Christians have argued about the, um, the charismatic gifts in, in 1 Corinthians about prophecy and tongues and say, well, you know, were prophecy and tongues, was that just something that happened in the early church or is that something that continues to our day? And I would say I don't really think Paul is arguing either direction with this verse. Uh, his main point is that these gifts of prophecies and tongues, they're temporary, and uh, the reason these gifts are temporary is because they only bring us to God in part, only partially. You see that in verse 9 where it says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect or the complete comes, the partial will pass away. What I think Paul is describing here is an experience that's not just true about you know, tongues and prophecy and knowledge, that we only have kind of a partial experience of God. I think that's true with pretty much every experience we have in life. Every meaningful, joyful experience always feels like I've only experienced the goodness of it in part. It's incomplete. You know, the greatest joys that we experience in life, they don't ultimately deeply satisfy us. They actually leave us partially empty. And uh, I'll tell you what I mean by this, I, uh, how I experienced this this week. Uh, my family, we were watching, I think it was one of the Bat Batman movies. And I was lying on our couch, and my, my daughter Molly, she's eight, she was lying next to me, and she had her head on my chest. And I was just struck, like, oh my goodness, this child that God made. And, you know, eight-year-old girls are so, you know, she's so full of life. And here she loves me. She wants to, like, put her head on my, and I was, you know, I was playing with her hair, and I'm thinking she's so beautiful, and she's so full of life. And at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to disappear. You know, she's going to be 25 any minute. And, and I, you know, I've always thought about it, that 
you know, she is going to be eight. This is the only time in the history of eternity that she will be eight. And it's like, and then it'll just be gone forever. You know, I always tell my daughter Ada, I'm like, okay, you need to just stop growing. Just stay that size. And she's like, I can't stop growing, Dad. I'm going to keep getting bigger, you know. And there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, for many of us, we think things like, oh, you know, having children is it's so fulfilling. That's not my experience of it. It, no, it's, it's joyful, but the experience is not a fullness. The f- experience is a deep ache. It's almost a pain. You say, oh, you know, it's like the Grinch at the end of the day. He's like, she really loves me. It's like a pain in your, you know, in your heart. And it, it, it doesn't satisfy your longings. The joy of children doesn't satisfy your longings. It makes your longings deeper. It makes you more hungry for whatever, it th- whatever thing you are longing for. And now, if, if any of you have read C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy, you'll know that the chasing after these little moments like I'm describing, these elusive moments of pleasure and joy, that was the pursuit of his whole life. Were these moments where he, he felt this deep sense of a connection to a deep beauty. You know, he'd read a, a piece of poetry or he'd come to some beautiful landscape and he was just, his breath was taken away. And he was constantly trying to recreate these experiences and re-experience them over and over again. And, but they would always just disappear. They'd evaporate. They'd be gone. And the turning point of his life was when he realized that all of these experiences, these pangs, these aches of joy were really pointing beyond themselves. And that's why there was no fulfillment in them. They made him more hungry, not more satisfied. And this is the way he describes it in Surprised by Joy. He says, all joy reminds. It's never a possession. You never feel like, finally, I've gotten this thing that I've been longing for and joy. It never does that. It says, it's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. The most meaningful experiences in our lives do not satisfy us. They make us hunger and long more. And what Paul is saying in these words is that the thing that is longer ago or further away or still about to be is God himself. He is the beauty behind all beauty, the goodness behind all goodness. He is the joy behind all joy. And that's why the second part of verse 12, look at what it says. For now I know in part, but then... I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so that's what heaven is. It is the fullness of all the joys we have only known in part. So every, every pleasure, every joy, every mountain, every friendship that was meaningful to us, every child in this life is singing to us about God himself. Our whole life, every joy, every sorrow is preparing us deepening the ache in us for that day when we will meet God face to face and the deep longing of our hearts is before us. We behold him and we have him. So that's why we say heaven alone is the fulfillment of our longings. And I think that the, the fact that everything else that we find pleasure and joy in leaves us kind of incomplete, it always feels kind of in part, not the fullness, is one of the strongest arguments that we are, we're made for heaven. And actually, if I could quote C.S. Lewis one more time, this is one of his more famous quotes. He says, you know, if we find ourselves 
with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If you find yourself constantly chasing after pleasures and joys, and they never deliver what you thought they would, it's because you're longing for something else. They're pointing you to something else, which is heaven, the dwelling place of God as God himself. And what that means is that heaven makes sense of our experience here. And I think that leads to a second point, that not only heaven is the fulfillment of our deepest longings, but also heaven is the answer to our riddles. And you know, one thing that Tommy Hanna pointed out to me a couple weeks ago about this passage, if you look in verse 12 where it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, the word there dimly, enigma, is literally, for now we see in a mirror in riddles. Now we're looking in a mirror in riddles. And this verse, it's actually a reference to Numbers chapter 12. You go back to Numbers chapter 12 where the Lord is talking about Moses This is what it says in Numbers 12. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. What Paul is saying is someday... Uh, when we are in heaven, we will have a relationship with God the way Moses had a relationship with God. It's going to be this face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. There's, you know, it's not obscure. But for now, our relationship to God is in riddles. And I have to tell you, I have a special fondness for riddles. Um, every year, actually, since Shannon and I got married, we have a Christmas dinner. And one of the traditions of the Christmas dinner is I write riddles that, and I hide little gifts around the house, and the riddles, you know, tell you how to go find the gift. And, um, and I love watching people try to solve the riddles. You know, they're the people that are just not even close, and you're like, you are not getting the riddle. You know, there's just something underneath the words. You know, you got to th- think more cleverly. And then there are those people who are really close, and they're so frustrated because they can't quite figure out that last word that they weren't paying attention to. And, uh, but especially, there's a certain bewilderment when you first read the riddle. And you should be like, I have no idea what this is talking about. I don't know what, this is in this house? What are you talking about? And what this passage is saying is that life in this world is like that. It is a riddle. And the meaning is not clear. You know, you, some of you, it's like, what is my calling? What am I supposed to be doing? It's a, you're finding, you're discerning the, the, all the elements and the things the Lord brings in. And you're trying to find, what's the answer? Where should I live? What is my life about? Probably the biggest part riddle is, about our lives is often our suffering. You know, some of you see some of the answer to that riddle where, you know, you might say, you know, wow, I see I had suffering in my life and God was shaping my character or he, he had better plans than what I had. And some of you might say, I'm still in the middle of that riddle and the answer has not been clear to me. But Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 26 tells us that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search them out. Is the glory of God to speak to us in riddles, hiding truths. And of course, God's, wit- God's word is a great 
1,300 pages of riddle that you spend a whole life studying and you say, oh, this verse goes with this verse and what is, oh, that word, I thought it meant that, but it has two things that it's talking about. And you're constantly piecing it all together to find out what does it mean? I'm trying to crack the code. And of course, Jesus spoke to us in riddles. And you might wonder, you know, why did Jesus speak to us in riddles? Well, there's this one prayer where Jesus says in Matthew 11, where he says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Little children love riddles. And they search them out, and they want to study them, and they're patient enough to look for them. But I'll tell you, you know, when I write riddles around my house, of course the best part is when the person solves a riddle. And their eyes are opened, and there is this joy um, that each line of the riddle starts to make sense. And you say, oh, this refers to that, and that refers to that. Heaven is the day coming when the riddle of our lives and the riddles of this world and the riddles of God will be answered. Our eyes will be opened, and we will see the answer himself. In him, in God himself, every piece fits together perfectly. And I think that's an incredible encouragement to us to keep walk, walking through the frustrating puzzle that many of you are feeling. My life is a puzzle that doesn't fit together. We keep walking because there's an answer coming. It will be resolved. This is not pointless, this riddle. And we live in an age that has believed that really there is no answer to the riddle. And, you know, I imagine, imagine if you came over to my house and I said, hey, I hid this present and you got to go find the riddle. And you spent an hour looking over, all over the house trying to crack it. And I said, actually, the, that's just gibberish. <laughs> it doesn't lead anywhere. You'd say, what have I been doing? Running around your house for no, this is completely pointless. That is how many in our age feel. I am living in a world that is a, rid a riddle of gibberish that is leading nowhere. And many of the solutions that our culture is giving to us is, you know what, you need to create an answer to the riddle. Imagine someone hands you a riddle and it says, you know, this is actually gibberish, but you somehow have to make meaning out of that. You are going to be deeply frustrated by that project. And I think this is a reason why there is an immense amount of despair and aimlessness and meaninglessness, especially among young people in our age. And so the question is, how can we know that there is an answer to the riddle? Jesus Christ comes to us and claims to be the riddle writer. The one who wrote the riddle you and I are living in has entered into the riddle. And actually, he's become like the crux of the riddle. He's become the most strangest part of the riddle, right? He's the God-man. He's the king on a cross. He's the holy one who's a friend of sinners. The strangest part of the riddle, and he has come to assure us, do not fear, I am the answer to the riddle. Life, the world, God, and heaven only make sense in me. And so there is an answer to the riddle, and the question, though, is when we find the answer to this strange puzzle you and I are living in, is it going to be a happy answer or a sad answer? And I think that leads to our, our last point. That not only is heaven the fulfillment of our longings, and heaven is the answer to the riddles of our life, that there is a resolution coming, but heaven is the world of love. Of course, you see that in that opening 
sentence in verse 8, love never ends. Love is eternal. Before there was a world, there was love. And the end of this world, where this world is going, is love. The bookends of everything that you and I experience in this world is love. It's the final word. It's the first word and the final word. And then again in verse 13, now it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. What this is saying is now, you know, you can't see God, so you need faith to believe in a God you can't see. And right now, you need hope because the, this future renewal where Jesus will make all things right, it hasn't come yet, so you've got to hope for it. But in that day, when the renewal comes, faith and hope will be no more, and what is left is a world of love. And in that day, whatever keeps your life from being filled with love right now will be gone. I mean, what are the things that keep your life from being filled with love right now? Death. I mean, that's the great tragedy of death is it takes, rips people apart who love one another. Uh, other people's sins who wrong us and betray us. Loneliness. No one is even around to love me. I'm alone. But probably, worst of all, my own sin. I fail to love people. I want to love people. I just can't. And I fail to. And I get angry. And I get frustrated. And I turn on people. I don't even know how to do it. I don't know how to connect with people's hearts. I don't know how to speak words of encouragement. I just cannot do it. In heaven, we have the promise that our hearts will be overflowing, singing with love to God and love to our neighbors. It will pour out of us naturally. It will be effortless. It will be as natural as sin is to us now. Love will be natural to us. And even more than human love, heaven is a place that is flooded with the love of God. There you will feel his pleasure warm on your skin. There's going to be no more doubts that you truly are a child of God. And you will know it in every ounce, every fiber of your being that you give pleasure to your heavenly father. And he gives pleasure to you. And it's a great joy. And Jonathan Edwards, uh, the great theologian of the, the 18th century in America, who uh, one of his most famous collection of, um, of uh, sermons, sorry, the, uh, one of his most famous uh, collections of sermons, which is called a Charity and Its Fruits, his final sermon, it was on this chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And the final sermon in that collection is, is titled Heaven, A World of Love. And that's where I got the, the title for this, this third point. And Edwards describes how heaven, God is like the fountain in heaven from who is just pouring out love to the, all the inhabitants of it. And this is what he says. Love flows out in innumerable streams toward all the created inhabitants of heaven, to all the saints and angels there. The love of God... Uh, the Father flows out toward Christ the head and to all the members through him, in whom they were beloved before the foundation of the world, and in whom the Father's love was expressed toward them in time by his death and sufferings, and it is now fully manifested in heaven. And what Edwards is saying is there are these streams in heaven that are just carrying love that not only works you know, through the space of heaven, but it almost like works backwards in time. And he says it reaches all the way to the foundations of the world before we were even made, God loved us. 
And it reaches even into our time now that we will find at that point that every hardship, every dark time, every pleasure that we experienced was carefully crafted by love even now. And then our final destination is love. And that we will, it's almost as if we will find that God was always with us. We were always dwelling with him. And that every part of our story was heaven. That is the end. And if you are in Christ Jesus, this heaven, this place, is God's gift to you. You are his beloved child, and this is the inheritance that awaits you. If you are in a dark valley right now, if you are discouraged, stand firm. This world awaits you. You are walking toward that world. And I'll tell you, the fact that heaven is a world of love, as beautiful as a vision as that is, is also a challenge to us. Because heaven is about communion with God. It is about relationship with him and with others. And we live in a culture, especially in Bellingham, that is deeply independent, deeply individualistic. We say, I want freedom. I want to do what I want to do. And if heaven, the world of love, is going to be your telos, the goal and meaning of your life, you must be a person who is willing to receive love. This is the requirement that God places on your entrance into that world. Independence and individualism cannot live there. And that's why Christians have always said, you can't have heaven without Jesus. That is because you can't, you can't have heaven unless you have a heart willing to receive God's love because heaven is the world of love. And God has expressed his love to the world in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is heaven. He's the place where God and man dwell together. Uh, Jesus is God's dwelling place. He is the fulfillment of all our deepest longings. Jesus is the riddle writer. Jesus himself is the greatest riddle and the answer to the riddle. And he is the king of the world of love. So if this is going to be our telos, if this is going to be the purpose, the thing that shapes us, then we must be willing to receive him. Let's pray together. Our great Father in heaven, we praise you that these words are true. That we could dare to dream that there is such a good God behind this good creation who would have such good purposes and be filled with such good love. Lord, we long to know your love, to be shaped by your love. Give us this vision of heaven to live inside of us. It would give us courage, that we would stand firm. Whatever dark valley you will call us to walk through, and that we would be assured deep in our souls that this indeed is our inheritance, communion with you, dwelling with our God. Lord, we say to you, we long for it. Come, Jesus, come. We pray in his name. Amen.